Thank you for tuning in to another episode of One More Story. Just a quick programming note, parents, if you'd like to skip past the interview and go straight to the first story, you can find it at the 15 minute, 10 second mark. But the subscription option is there for you if you prefer to put on just the stories for the kids. And please be sure to leave us a review if you are enjoying the show. It helps boost our visibility on all the platforms. So sit back, relax, and enjoy tonight's episode. My guest tonight is Nikki Robles. She is an actress and voiceover actress and singer, best known for her work in The Owl House, Encanto, Kung Fu Panda, Dragon Knight, and The Resident. Nikki, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Very honored to be on here after Spooky Week. <laughs> yeah, well, it, I, I didn't realize that you are a big horror fan yourself. Maybe oh, yes. I, I should have had you on during that. What are, what are some of your favorite scary movies? Oh, so it's a very loaded question. So like what scared me the most recently was The Nun, which I didn't expect. But like what's my favorite? The Babadook. What do I think is one of the best of all time? Nightmare on Elm Street, I think. For its time, you know, we gotta. There's a lot of levels to judge against. What is yours? Oh, I heard you. You're not. You're well. Was it just the black phone that scared you, or are you like not a horror guy? No, I am. Well, I write. That's what I write. So it's. Oh. So I'm much better. Yeah. So I I tend to consume comedic content, and then my output is horror. It's very complicated. Very. It is very complicated. <laughs> but I do obviously. I have some favorites. I mean, you know. Growing up, I was obsessed with the Twilight Zone. Okay, yes. Because when I was a kid, it was the 80s reboot of the old show. So I watched a lot of that. I really like that weird existential horror dread. Yeah. So I'm not as much of a gore guy. That's yes. What about, um? so do you like, what is it, Black Mirror? Are you a Black Mirror guy? I've watched a little bit of it. I just, it's one of those things that I've been meaning to you know, there's so much content out there. Also, they're kind of heavy. Like sometimes I watch one and I like need to not think about it for three months. You know, they yeah. get really weird and very well, existential. And, <laughs> yeah. And I don't and, and I, I'd be watching that at night before bedtime and I don't need my brain to be <laughs> going that, there. Like, yes. I'd rather watch like Top Chef or oh, yes. Abbott Elementary or something light. Good ones. <laughs> I watch we've been watching uh, Bobby Flay's Triple Threat. Be Bobby Flay. Oh. Um. Oh. Uh. What's the one? It's Guy Fieri, but Tournament of Champions. I love Guy. Diners, drive-ins, and dives oh, got me through. Got yes. me through some tough times during the pandemic because also there were at the time where there were no sports on because yeah. that was usually my release. So when everything was shut down, I was like, "All right, it's Triple D and Guy. Like he's so positive. I, I think he's responsible for every pound I gained during the pandemic because my husband <laughs> and I been watching them like make these smash burgers and like." <laughs> Do, do you ever watch his his ranch kitchen? No. What is that? Oh my god! Yeah, he has this amazing uh, outdoor kitchen set up I've at seen his that. ranch. Okay. So he he invites all of his celebrity chef friends up to, and they have a a competition. I say that loosely because they're all just having fun and making drinks and making amazing food. But like they have a theme every week, and yeah, that's I think that's probably my favorite Guy Fieri show. Oh, I need to get on that. Yeah, my we are we're Bobby Flay household uh at okay. heart. That's what my dog's named after. <laughs> She's a redhead. 
Yeah, we are. I, that's funny. You were saying like you ingest comedy and you output horror. I yeah. ingest horror and I like really dark, dark. Like you said, like I know it's yeah. going to give me nightmares, but I can't stop. And then I output comedy. Interesting. <laughs> what I like about both comedy and horror is they are wonderful ways of communicating uh, heavier themes, bigger themes in an entertaining way. Especially like, I think there's a lot of overlap too with like the campy ones. Like you were saying, like mm -hmm. you don't love gore. I don't love gore, but that's what I like about like the slasher movies because like, well, the earlier, like, you know, Scream, uh, a lot of the classics because they don't, they're not like too real. It's like so over the top and so crazy and the killers right. are so illogical maybe and they have almost no backstory. And when you try to make, right. it, make it make sense, it makes less sense. <laughs> and so I don't know, like for some reason that's very freeing, you know, like where he's just like standing behind the tree in the middle of a neighborhood right. and like broad daylight. And Jamie, <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis is the only person who sees his nine foot man. Um, it's kind of like yeah. the logic. <laughs> There's a fine line between scary and funny. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about uh, you're primarily doing voiceover stuff. You you also do on, on camera as well, I, right? You know what? Whoever wants to hire me, that is okay. who I work for. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> no, I love voiceover. What do you love about it? I don't know. It's just, you know, when people are like, oh, this is like what I have to do. I never felt that way about any job. And I loved acting and I loved learning and challenging myself. But I was never like, you know, some people are like, if I was an actor, I would die. I was like, I wish I felt that like, you know, I wouldn't be 80 years old and still working in a diner and trying this, <laughs> you know, like I was like, I didn't I was like, I respect that. But, you know, I'm a hard worker and I will do my best. <laughs> and if they want me, I'll be there. And then when I went in a voiceover booth for the first time, I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So I love acting. I love being on a set. I think it's so different. I just think about the different sets of skills you have to have to be like great on camera versus stage versus like it's all acting. But I think your strengths suit you in different ways, you know. So tell me a little bit about the Owl House because it's got a pretty dedicated following. Oh my gosh, yes. And so what what is it about the show that you think resonates so deeply with people? Wow, yeah. To, to start, I had no idea it would be like that. You know, you get it. You work on so many things and right. whatever you, if you think something's going to be huge, nothing happens. If you think something's going to be nothing, it's huge. First of all, Luce is like, teenage me you know like nerdy latina like so my mom used to tell me she was like don't worry like they just don't understand your humor that's why you have no friends <laughs> which is even sadder than not having friends her saying that i was like oh mom like bad to worse um but i so when i first read Lisa, i was like oh this is me this is not going to be popular and i think that's part of what resonates with people. She is so raw and she is so earnest. And I think especially with the timing, we came out like just before the pandemic. I think it is without like talking down to kids, without talking down to people, It's but it's still very like wholesome in its mm -hmm. own weird, quirky way. Like it is spoopy. It is technically about demons, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but it's... um also so lighthearted and so goofy and so such a hero's tale without being corny. And um, 
I will also say the representation. I mean, there's not a lot of female Hispanic leads. There's not a lot of Hispanic nerds at all represented. There's definitely not a lot of queer representation. And there's definitely not a lot of queer neurodivergent (laughs) female Hispanic representation. So I think we're speaking to a lot of audiences who weren't being spoken to before. We also have like, I think one of Disney's first non-binary characters, which is huge. Um, You know, my character, she's got a kiss on the Disney channel, you know, and she's bisexual. Her girlfriend's a lesbian and they're children and it's wholesome and good and not problematic. (laughs) And so I think, you know, for we have a lot of adults who enjoy our show, too. I think for a lot of us, we're like, wow, I wish I had seen that when I was a kid. And then for a lot of kids like my niece and nephew, it's goofy and funny and it's about demons and like it helps them understand different identities just by like having them be normal people. Have, I mean, have you gotten any pushback online for folks that maybe? <sighs> so, yes, my, my favorite review was before the show came out. It was like a mommy blogger talking about how this show was the occult and how she had watched The Craft growing up. And it mm. turned her into a heroin addict and a lesbian. What? The craft? And I was like, the craft is problematic. I didn't think it turned me into a demon worshiper, a heroin addict, or a lesbian, but to each their own. Um, so I was like, wow, we did it. Like we pissed off, we pissed off like a Christian mommy blogger. <laughs> so I am Catholic, listen. But it's just come on. You you gotta own your mistakes and I don't think the, I've watched the craft. I really don't know where the heroin came in. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely a little racist, a little dated, but the heroin, I don't know. Feels like she was trying to blame us for her problems. But um, yeah, we've definitely gotten that. But who cares? You know, if uh, it's 2023, if you don't want to watch it, you don't have to. It's not right. even like you have to don't change the channel. Like there's a million channels. You probably have to subscribe to come see us. So on the flip side, have you gotten some f- positive feedback from kids or adults who feel seen and represented i really yeah i can't even count the amount of people who've made me like a weep and feel like a sense of responsibility like i had no idea like i said we were making a little cartoon you know in Mm -hmm. 2017 is when i started she's weird we were doing this crazy like cartoon disney demon thing and i had no idea the impact it would have but i've had people like in my DMs and then cameo and, you know, at cons being like, the show literally saved my life. Like I was in such a dark place and I felt seen and this show saved my daughter's life. This show helped my mom understand my identity. Me and my little sister who was like sick in the hospital watched the show. I just lost my dad and that episode with Luz like really helped me feel seen. And I just, I was so underprepared for the impact that we could have truly like our fans are the kindest, most amazing, and it is um, very surreal. It's great when you work on something, you know, you go in with the best intentions, you just want to do a good job as an actor, and then to have it turn into something bigger that positively affects people's lives is just oh, yeah. pretty nice icing on the cake, I Isn't would Isn't that imagine. like the whole goal of art? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Why art exists. So it was... I had no idea what it could be. I was just hoping we didn't get canceled. You know, like I was hoping we'd get our full season. (laughs) That's all. So you work a lot in the kids 
animation space. What were some of your favorite kids stories when you were a child? I think I always liked the spoop. Um, my dad used to tell me like Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales. I was definitely a Harry Potter kid. But yeah, like I would be a princess, but I was also a zombie. <laughs> nice. You know, like I would be, I was a witch like nine times. <laughs> so I guess that's foreshadowing. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, I like the Berenstein Bears, Dr. Seuss. Yep. I really like to read. I read a lot. I've always been a reader. Loved all the Disney movies. You know, I definitely loved a princess. I loved a song. And you sing as well, right? A little, yeah, when they let me. I love to sing. <laughs> That was what I wanted to be when I was a little kid. I wanted to be a singer. I'm not great enough to do that for my whole career, but I could pop in and out. Yeah, I've, I've dabbled. <laughs> yeah, I never I never had that extra talent. My wife always tells me I'm tone deaf. <laughs> hey, listen, it's a lot of practice and they're not always winners. I Sometimes I'm like, oh God, why? And then other times I'm like, look at you. you know? Well, and also the problem with me is Whenever I do it, it tends to be like a karaoke night after enjoying myself a little bit too much. And oh, so, you know, I've been there. And you're like, this is a hit in your head. It's a hit. And then when it comes out, not well, so much. And, it, and it's generally a poor song choice, yes. like uh, way out of my range. Like Whitney Houston, I want to dance with somebody comes <gasps> on. That's and, my you know. ringtone. I love <laughs> Whitney Houston. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a classic, but do you, I mean, you can listen to my voice now. Do you really think I can hit those notes? Absolutely I wouldn't not. sing it. I mean, but I used to sing all these <laughs> things. Like I used to sing like Phantom of the Opera, you know, like the highest. And I was like, I don't have that range, but like I did it. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. You wait till someone stops you sometimes. <laughs> Fake it till you make it yeah. or just keep faking it. <laughs> just keep faking So now as an adult, what's your wind down routine at night? How do you quiet your mind and... Get a good night's sleep. I was going to say, I think my mind is never quiet. I just run out of batteries. <laughs> I'm like an energizer bunny. I'm like, -da -da. <laughs> like if I sit still too long. But no, if I can't sleep, I can't read a book because if I read, I'll last like eight minutes. But I am really big on audiobooks. So yeah, if I'm not, if I'm not able to sleep, I'll put on my headphones. Uh, right now I'm listening to The Land of Lost Things, which I couldn't recommend more. If you like fairy tales and spooky and it's dark, it is not, do not read this to your children, but it okay. is the sequel to the book of lost things, which is, I think maybe my favorite book ever. It is so good. And it's so dark, but not like dark where you're going to have nightmares, you know? Okay. But it's like an adult fairy tale. Interesting. I'll have to check that out. Really brain food for your imagination. Been reading that. Sometimes I'll put on some brown noise. Now I'm going to listen to your podcast now that I know about it. Well, speaking of bedtime stories, Nikki, are you ready for your first story? I hope so. I think you are. The word is crane. Once upon a time, there was a young man named Barry, and Barry had just graduated from high school and he had not gotten into any of the colleges he wanted to go to. He got into a few schools. You know, he wasn't the best student. He was a he was a, a bright kid, but you know, he had some issues with test taking and you know, a lot of these standardized tests are kind of antiquated and 
you know, if you're in the wrong school and you don't have the right teacher, it doesn't necessarily mean you're not a smart kid. It just means you learn differently. And Barry learned differently. But he was really good at making things. He was a very tactile learner. And he may not have been good with his spelling tests or his math tests, but he would often go into his father's garage on the weekends and he would just tinker with things. He would build things. He would build different pieces of art. And oftentimes, you know, his dad wasn't really super handy and wasn't really into, you know, building a lot of things. So, so Barry just had to take what was ever laying around the garage and he would make things out of it. And what he didn't realize at the time was he was becoming a very talented found object sculptor, which is not something his father knew anything about. His father was an accountant. His mother was a lawyer and they didn't have an artistic bone in their body, but they liked that it was something that Barry was interested in and they sort of encouraged it. They didn't discourage it. They were just kind of lukewarm on the whole thing. They were just kind of lukewarm people in general, but Barry wasn't. He, he had a passion for building things. Well, he was really disappointed that he didn't get into the colleges that he wanted to get into, and he knew it was because of his grades. And he was feeling pretty low that summer as he weighed his options, which, which weren't many. And so he just went into his father's garage and he started building something. He started constructing Well, he didn't know what he was making, actually, when he started. He just feverishly started assembling random pieces of pallet wood he found out on the curb and some old metal plates. And he didn't know where he was going with this, but he was enjoying the process. And one day, he went out into the neighborhood to collect some objects for whatever piece this was going to be, and he found... A giant, sparkling hook. He finally knew where he was headed. So this hook was really large. He had to go back home, go to his father's garage, get a wagon, and come back and haul this back home. And he knew that this thing was going to be way bigger than he could have even imagined. But Barry knew he just had to fortify his his base and keep going. And he started to build it taller and taller and taller until his neighbors started to come by and ask, Barry, what is that? And he said, you'll see when it's ready. So Barry had to find ladders upon ladders upon his roof. He was on top of his roof and his parents were now beginning to get a little concerned. They said, what is this? And he said, trust me. Until Barry was finally ready to put on his giant sparkling hook. And when he did, he knew he'd made the right choice. He knew that this would be a game changer for his town. And he knew what he had to do. The next day, 
he towed that giant crane to City Hall and he met with the mayor who was very lovely and patient to take a meeting with a, a recent high school grad and Barry said to the mayor, he said, Mayor, I know you've got a lot of construction projects planned and uh, check it out. I made a crane and uh, it's pretty cool. And if you want to like give me some money for it, then I was thinking maybe I could start a crane business because I didn't get into the colleges that I wanted to. And I don't know, this could be the beginning of something truly beautiful. And the mayor sighed and he looked at this crane and it was it was not a, a load-bearing crane. This was a piece of art. This was a giant sculptural installation piece. And he said, oh, Barry, he's like, I appreciate the effort. I really like you. I like your parents. You're a nice family. This is interesting, but I don't know how functional it is. You know, these things need to pass engineering tests. And, you know, there could be lawsuits, you know, if we were to actually use this crane and something were to go wrong. And it could end badly for, for a lot of folks. And especially for a construction worker, below that crane if it were to fall, and we don't, we don't want that to happen. But I, I really do appreciate your effort, Barry. And Barry was visibly disappointed. His shoulders sunk, his face dropped, and he got back in his truck and he drove off and he, he towed that crane behind him. And as he's driving through town, he started to get a little hungry and there was a cute little area of shops and uh, bakeries and uh, coffee shops and art studios and he just found a parking spot he was very lucky to find a parking spot i mean he had a truck and he was towing this gigantic crane behind him but he found a parking spot right in front of this art studio and he got out and he took a look at the crane, kind of sighed again, and went into the bakery to get himself a donut. And as he was eating his donut, the owner of the art studio emerged from her studio. When she saw what Barry had built, she stood stone still, and she could not believe her eyes. It was a beautiful, complex statement about art, about life, about construction, and frankly, a feat of structural engineering. She felt so lucky and so inspired. She began running into each shop, begging to see if anyone knew who this beautiful, beautiful crane belonged to. And finally, as she's running into the bakery, she runs headfirst into Barry. Barry has powdered sugar all over his face. He drops his donut and he immediately begins apologizing. He cannot believe his luck today. He is having a no good, very bad day. He is so unlucky. And he stands up, looks at this woman, and she profusely apologizes and explains why she's in a rush. She is looking for the genius that created this installation and then just left it in the parking lot. And Barry freezes. His brain cannot even compute 
what she's saying. He had faced all this rejection and felt so lost and so defeated. And now this woman was reframing everything. And he, he stuttered out, yeah, it's, it's mine. I, I made it. My name is Barry. And the woman smiled and she said, Barry, it is very, very nice to meet you. We are going to have a very, very beautiful friendship. She introduced Barry to her friend who runs an art school. And she sent Barry's pictures of Barry's art all around the country, all around the world, because she knew people had to see this. And that was the beginning of Barry's very, very, very good luck. So Barry began school and then he went to graduate school and then he was studying all around the world, studying structural, sculptural art. He was working with all different types of textiles. He was inspiring and changing art scenes all around the world. Barry became one of the most memorable, most famous structural, sculptural artists the world has ever seen. And Barry felt really good. The end. Nikki, are you ready for one more story? Yes. Okay, the word is present. Once upon a time, there was a very, very fluffy little dog. And he was alone. He didn't remember where he came from, and he was very small. And he knew where to find snacks behind the old bakery. He knew where to get water over by the beautiful stream. He didn't really have many friends. He would growl at the cat that stood on top of the garbage cans, and he would chase some squirrels, but he was very alone. And this little fluffy, fluffy puppy one day stumbled upon a little girl who was walking out of her dance class. And he fell in love. He knew that this little girl was his person. She was happy, she was bouncing around, she had the coolest purple tutu, and he just wanted to be her dog. And so he came up with a plan. Every day he saw this big yellow car full of children. And so he figured there were so many kids on there, he, he had to run into her. So he followed this big yellow car, and it was driving very fast through the town. But he arrived at a huge building full of all the children. And so he snuck inside as someone was closing the door. And he began searching. He snuck in every room, every closet, every single door until finally he saw the little girl. And he heard her name. Her name was Cassie. And he was satisfied, so he waited. He snuck back outside and he waited to follow the big, giant, yellow car home where he knew he could find Cassie. Only Cassie didn't take the big yellow car out. So he began searching. He, he ran and found a huge field and saw Cassie now she was kicking this big white and black ball and he really wanted to play. So he ran right out onto the field and decided to join her, except right as he was about to reach Cassie, this big giant man picked him up and said, who are you? What are you doing here? 
They don't allow dogs on the field. So picked him up, called someone, and they took him away. They took him far away from Cassie and they put him in a crate. And he was so sad. He failed. He, he couldn't find her. And he cried. He was so heartbroken. He, he didn't know what to do. Then someone walked in and she smelled so good. She smelled like cookies and Christmas trees and latkes, like she had just been cooking all day. And he really was very hungry. And she asked him his name and he didn't know how to answer her. He, he'd never really thought about a name, but he was very happy to see her. And amazing, warm, delicious smelling lady picked him up and said, you're just the one. So this lady puts him in her car, and this time it's a very nice car. He is sitting right in front. She gives him a toy. He, he can't believe his luck. He's feeling very good about this, but still wondering how he can sneak away and get to Cassie. They pull up to this big, beautiful apartment building, and she tries to bring him into an elevator, which he's seen people get in, but he's not feeling good about. But she says, I promise you it'll be worth it. And he says, okay, maybe if I get some food, I can get back out searching for Cassie, but this lady's being very nice. So he agrees and follows her into the elevator. Now, when these elevator doors open, he begins to smell something. It, it's not only cookies, it, it's not only latkes, it's not only Christmas tree, but he smells best smell he's ever smelled. It's Cassie. And this wonderful lady opens the door and says, I have someone who would really like to meet you. And it's Cassie. He sees Cassie and sprints full force into her arms and she is giggling and she is crying and she said, yes, you are exactly the one. And the lovely lady who always smells like cookies asks, so what's his name? And she says, hmm, it's gotta be something sweet and fluffy and smart and loyal. His name is Ted. And Ted kissed Cassie because it was the best name he had ever heard. It was the best name he'd ever imagined. And he and Cassie went to school. He rode the bus. He got kicked off the soccer field again. So Ted learned that he was not supposed to play on the soccer field. But there were so many wonderful things that he and Cassie and the new lady he learned was named Mom could do together. He could sneak cookies off the table. He definitely got some latka scraps. He sat near the fire, roasty, toasty, and warm. He could play all sorts of games with Cassie. Since she did dancing and soccer, she was very fast. So they would run together and play together and nap together. This was exactly the kind of thing he liked to do. And Cassie said, I can't believe how long it took me to find you. And Ted thought the exact same thing. She just understood him. So he and Cassie would go on big, long walks around the neighborhood with his big fluffy coat to keep him warm. And Cassie also had a big fluffy coat, although she didn't grow her own. But Ted loved her so much. They would stop and get ice cream. They would stop and meet her friends. And when no one was looking, she would sneak him onto the soccer field. And then they would run and run and run and run. 
And one day, Cassie tripped and hurt her knee. And she had scraped it really good. He knew because he had done the same once. But Ted knew just how to help her. He ran up and licked her whole face. And that seemed to make her feel better. So together, they walked home. Mom patched Cassie's knee right up. They sat by the fire. They had some hot cocoa, although his wasn't really cocoa. He could tell. And they began to fall asleep. And Ted thought, wow, this is the best present I could ever imagine. And Cassie felt the same. And they both fell asleep for the night.